Well, once again, uh, good morning, everyone. Over the next two Sundays, we are going to be continuing the flow from where we started last week at our One Church Sunday, looking at the question, where do we go from here? This was about casting a vision for the year ahead and road ahead as One Church family. The year of believing God for growth in maturity and growth in numeracy and calling us to a year of devotion to him and to one another rooted in the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. So if you haven't managed to hear that message yet let me encourage you to do so. It's ready and available to be listened to on Spotify and it contains some important practical faith steps we are taking together as a church family as we seek to be faithful to what God is doing. It really is a great privilege to be preaching the word this morning. If you're taking notes, the title for today's preach is Building Well, Part 1, aptly named as Part 2 will follow next week. And we are rooted in Acts 2 verses 42 to 47. So our focus today will be particularly in verses 45 to 46. But let's read the whole section just to get the flow of what is happening with God's people. So if you have Bibles, let's turn to Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And they, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God, and we pray that like a two-edged sword, it would get right to our hearts, Lord God, and bring about transformation, bring about change in us, Lord God, that it will take us on in this one step further in our relationship with you, that we don't leave this place the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for all those, uh, <clears throat> those beach lovers out there, there are some days when it's much easier to get into the seawater than others. To me, the conditions that make it like that little bit awkward are the not too hot, not too cold days when the kids want you to come into the water, but you're not particularly excited about getting in there. However, you're going to do it for the kids. And any other type of weather environment, I would probably, you know, like rush into that see get my head under as soon as possible but on those days those not too hot not too cold days i seem to foolishly opt in for the slow and agonizingly awkward wade in technique which always seems to reach the point just above the knee height before i start firstly questioning my life choices and then begin to make irrational noises based on the cold water hitting areas i don't appreciate The context in which we find the early church here in Acts 2 is a full immersion moment. Full immersion in what we could call non-perfect environmental conditions. 
Jesus had instructed his apostles to wait until the help of, of the Holy Spirit had arrived. It's God's Holy Spirit, his presence with the church that enables it and empowers it for success. 120 followers of Jesus were gathered in one place, in one house, and then suddenly the scripture says, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. So even before we start to dig into our text for today, I'd like to make some early observations about the work of the Holy Spirit, beginning with this. It starts with the house. God fills the entire house with his spirit. The presence of God with the people of God. This is where it starts. This is where it's at. Mission success of making disciples of all nations is dependent upon this. God's spirit filling the entire house. It is the mark of the church. It is the sign to you and I that we are ready to embark on mission together. Even more so, it is a sign to those outside of the house that something significant is happening. Which leads to my second observation. It draws in the multitude. Now, as the household of believers is filled, the sound of that rushing wind is like a magnet to those outside of it. Those outside are drawn toward the house because they understand something supernatural is happening. I do find it fascinating that before the church begins the mission to go out beyond the house, God is already at work drawing people in toward the house. And that is something we should be expecting of that. As sure as God has filled his house with the power of the Holy Spirit, he has also begun a work to draw in those outside of his house, hearts ready to receive good news. Which then leads me on to my next observation. The gospel goes out. The house is filled, the multitude drawn in, and then the apostle Peter makes the first move of being a witness for Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. He testifies about Jesus. Many hearts are moved and Peter helps them to respond and the church grows from 120 to 3,000 people one day in one day. The household has now grown. The journey of the early church begins on a, a not too hot but not too cold a day meaning the environment around them was not exactly perfect conditions for being a you know, church family on a mission. The Jewish leaders and people had not long ago played their part in condemning Jesus to death by crucifixion. So there was, there was a sense of hostility that extended toward those who were followers of him. And yet, they waited as Jesus asked. I don't think they had everything together. Not sure that the kids' work was organised. There didn't seem to be a sign of a worship team. And as, as of yet, I'm not entirely sure the quality of the venue that they met in. What I mean to say is that it's all pretty raw. Yet, they were not idle. They prayed. They appointed another apostle and they waited for the help that Jesus had promised with expectation. Jesus had them wait because he didn't want the church to just wade into the situation up to their knees and awkwardly embark on a mission together like one might on a not-too-hot, not-too-cold day on the beach. No, in order to enable success, God was giving his Holy Spirit to fill the house, to cause the 120 and all those added to the church to be fully immersed, to be all in to the mission to make disciples of all nations. 
and as sure as they were fully immersed through baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, they were fully immersed into the community and culture of the church. The Holy Spirit bound them together in devotion. Devotion to the apostles' teaching. Devotion to being together. Devotion to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to unity and to the mission that we carry. I believe God is going to cause us to grow as a family in both maturity and numeracy. And I believe we will see that this year. However, in that regard, we have, we have little to bring to the table. It's just something that he is doing. All praise to him. That is his commitment. What we are calling the church to is a year of devotion. Devotion to these areas we discover in Acts 2. These areas that the Holy Spirit binds the church together in heart and soul as one people, as one family. Last week we looked at verses 42 to 44. Today we're giving our focus to verses 45 to 46. And so in line with that, we're going to look at three cultures that the Holy Spirit causes the church to be fully immersed in. A culture of caring, a culture of gathering, and a culture of authentic joy. Let's start with verse 45 then. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their, the proceeds to all as any had need. So a culture of good care starts in the household. Last Sunday we shared with the church family that across this year we are and will be exploring eldership with a couple of guys. Carl Greenman from our Wimborne site who has led worship a couple of times here in Verwood and the lovely John Stevens, who you all know well is from the Verwood site. Let me encourage you to be praying for them on that journey. When looking at what qualifies a man for the role of elder, the Bible points us towards their household. Look at their house. Investigate whether there is a healthy culture of care in operation. And that is not just about the type of care that potentially John and Helen are delivering, but we are looking at the environment of care that they have created. Care for one another, care for their children, the children's care toward each other, and the care they deliver back and, and the care that the children deliver back to their parents. We are looking at the culture of care and an authentic work of the Holy Spirit that is truly concerned with the well-being of one another. The household indicates how the potential elder is able to care and create a caring environment within the household of God. If they can do it well at home, it goes some way to help us understand how they might be a blessing in doing that with church family. And if it's done well in the household, it lays a foundation for care beyond the household. But God starts with the house. A genuine, Holy Spirit, authentic care within the church that looks to be a blessing to your brother and sister in Christ. From those who have responsibility over the house to those who are part of the house, there should be an evidential work of beautiful care for one another as family. Now, of course, care takes you know, takes all sorts of form. But in the headline in Acts 2, it helps us to understand a significant principle, that a culture of care seeks to meet the outstanding need of another. Now, it may not be that if someone is in need of, for example, financial support, that the best approach would be to just cover the financial gap. Though the heart is right, it may be that the method is unhelpful. It may actually prove to be 
more helpful that you meet the need by giving them tools to manage their finances. Either way, the principle remains genuine, authentic care in a household of God seeks to bless those in need. And here in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit moves people to this extraordinary, extraordinary measure of love and care with their eyes open to this precious reality. Nothing was their own. They are only stewards over that which God has entrusted them with. So they were able to freely give out of what God had given to them. When you give into the church, as an eldership team, we are managing that offering of worship as ones entrusted to steward things that are not our own, but actually preciously belong to God for his household and beyond. I think this, to me, really echoes something of the pre-Exodus story, where God rises up Joseph in the land of Egypt to administer a great resource of provision for the people. Over seven good years, he fills up the barns with the fruit of the produce of the people of Egypt. And this was done in order that people would not be in need during the approaching seven years of famine. Joseph is like so efficient in gathering and managing in this produce that in the year's famine, not only did Egypt have plenty, but they were also able to feed the surrounding nations that were in need as well. So here in Acts, the household of God were selling their possessions and belongings. And in Acts 4, it tells us that they laid all of this at the feet of the apostles, trusting them to distribute as any had need. And it was said of the church that there was not a needy person among them. They filled up their barns. They filled up their storehouses so that the household of God was not lacking. It starts with the household but like God's blessing upon Joseph there is an overflow that goes beyond Egypt to the surrounding nations and in the same way we should be a blessing that overflows from the household of the elder to the household of the church and from the household of the church to the community around us so let's look at that next verse together in verse 46 and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Culture of gathering. Now, a culture is <clears throat> something that is embedded into the fabric of the day to day. Meaning that it tends to be evident in everything you do, which is why it can be really hard to change. You know, it, a culture can be like trying to change a bad habit. Or changing a culture, change, like changing a habit. I have a habit of locking doors all the time. It's really not very hospitable, but it's a rhythm I have had since growing up. The bonus is that it's unlikely that someone's going to walk into the house when they're not meant to. The con is that I also have the habit of locking people out of the house, particularly my mother-in-law, who sleeps in our summer house when she comes to stay. You know, we actually live in a pretty safe area, and yet that's a pretty hard habit for me personally to break. I think of those kind of scenarios like a manager taking on a new role with a struggling football team. Or maybe you're employed to help turn around a business department that's not performing. Whilst there will be kind of cold, hard facts and statistics that will help you understand the picture, culture will inevitably be behind some of those statistics. And a change of culture might be needed in order to help and improve the performance. Full immersion is what the Holy Spirit is bringing to the table. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings the church 
together in devotion and in one of those key areas of devotion is a passion to being together. You know, I think COVID is a good example of something that sharply interrupted a culture of being able to gather together. It was a really tough season that enforced isolation. And I think to a degree, you know, put a layer of culture into our practice that hasn't quite disappeared yet. Now, don't get me wrong. A bit of isolation isn't wrong. At times, Jesus withdrew away from people to be with his heavenly father. I am also one who enjoys a bit of isolation for people as well. However, in the scheme of things, you know, these are little moments. Sometimes my wife and kids, they'll go to visit family in Dover over the school holidays. And I think to myself, brilliant. I'll get to watch a few movies. That's Joe, movies that Joe's not really interested in. Play a few games maybe on my Xbox. And in theory, it sounds quite exciting. However, the reality is that it's exciting only for a moment. And then by night on the first day, I'm already missing my family. The scripture says that it's not good for man to be alone. And I can feel that through to my bones. I'm meant to be in the company of family. That is what God has created me for. It is what is good for me. And what is good for me is good for those around me. The Spirit binds the church family together in a way that has never been bound before. They are gathering in the temple and each other's homes. And that is the same template that we follow as a family today. Sunday gatherings, there are, there are temple. Sundays are our temple gatherings. And life groups are where we gather in one of those homes, one another's homes. Gathering together is it's like it's written into the diary of the church. But as we press on together into the year ahead, I believe the Holy Spirit wants that passion to gather together to be written on our hearts. That we as a church family would be devoted to gathering together in the temple and each other's homes. This is where our culture of care to one another is active. On Sundays, in our life groups, this is where relationships are forged and deepened and there is a greater knit together as family. Now, as much as I can say about the importance of being together in the context of Sundays or midweek, I am looking to the beautiful pull of the Holy Spirit that's going to move us into these things. Not reluctantly, but passionately. Not upset that this might be intruding on the diary, but something that becomes of such value that it becomes first to be written into the diary. God starts with the house. And it's from the filling up and full immersion of his people that he pours out into the multitude that surrounds them. Let's look at the second half of verse 46. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Oh, the joy, the authentic joy of God's people. I was recently in a meeting in a different church context, and I must say, actually, it broke my heart. I'm not going to share the context of what was happening, but I, as I was looking at this verse in preparation for today, it really struck me that what was missing from that context was authentic joy. My heart was longing to see it. The NIV Bible translate the ver translates the verse in Acts 2.46 to say, glad and sincere hearts. Is conveying a sincerity, a realness with how the church felt truly thankful, truly grateful, not just for the food they were receiving, but for it all. 
the rescue they'd received from Jesus, that they were new creations in him, given a new hope and future with him, the family they had inherited, the new love for God they had discovered alongside a great love for one another, the vision they were working towards and the mission that they carried. That authentic joy comes from how the Holy Spirit embeds that truth on our hearts and binds us beautifully together. We find ourselves thankful. We find ourselves grateful. For the early church, it was fresh. It was something new. They didn't have it all together. The kids' work might not have been there. Their GDPR policies were probably not in place, but God was doing something mighty with them and they knew it to be true. They were all in, fully immersed, and they were grateful for it. That kind of authentic joy reminds me of the Psalms. And David, one of the kings of Israel, who wrote many of them, he really discloses the reality of his life and situations, challenges and trials. You know, authentic joy doesn't seek to cover up the realities of the challenges of life. I think you can read the difference between that which is authentic joy and non-authentic joy. Authentic joy rejoices even in the midst of suffering because it surpasses everything else. For David, all of those life challenges found themselves caught up into what was for him a sincere gladness, this genuine thankfulness and adoration of God. It's a real, raw work of the Holy Spirit, working with David in non-perfect environmental conditions and yet seeing something of authentic joy with him. Let me just read to you one of his, a portion from one of his Psalms, from Psalm 34. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. I magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If this is a glimpse of authentic joy from David, how much more should authentic joy overflow in the church who have received the grace of God through Jesus Christ and have been given a great hope, future and helper in the person of the Holy Spirit for the days and the road ahead? You know, Dale and I had the privilege of popping in to see Les in hospital last week from our Verwood site. And I just wanted to really bring testimony of a man who of 92 who at 92 years of age and looking pretty fragile and beginning a tough road ahead of rehabilitation, I just wanted to bring testimony to a man who immediately in conversation was sincere in thankfulness and gratefulness for the God he belonged to and the culture of care he received from his brothers and sisters in Christ alongside that of the medical staff. We visited a man full of authentic joy carrying that richness of Christ in him and the help of the Holy Spirit at work. Fully immersed. That's where God desires us to be. Through the power and support of his spirit, bound together and all in for him. 
Don't wait for the perfect conditions to jump into the sea. In this life there are none, just a perfect God who is going to help you see it all through and bring you through to something much better. Fully immersed. God's desire is in those non-perfect conditions is not that you would wade up to your knees. You know, that's an uncomfortable position to be in and it's not sustainable. God wants you all in, no matter the weather, no matter the conditions. That is what the Holy Spirit was given for, to fully immerse the church, to bring them together in devotion. That through the grace of God, through the work of Jesus and the gift of his spirit, we, his church, should carry a culture of caring, a culture of gathering and a culture of authentic joy. That this type of culture will be embedded in the fabric of all that we do and that any other culture that works in opposition to that would be torn away. We have a vision to see lives transformed by Jesus, to be a church that pioneers and to support those who struggle with life's challenge, challenges. We have a mission to make disciples of all nations. We have good news to carry into our communities, but it all starts with the house. The giving of the Holy Spirit, the binding together of his people, the, devo the devotion to the apostles' teaching, to, the, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to unity and to mission, a devotion to care, to gathering, all with glad and sincere hearts. A church full of authentic joy. This is where it starts and it's meant to overflow. It's meant to go beyond the walls of this household. It's meant to supply the surrounding communities and the household is meant to grow. So let me invite the worship team to come lead us in song. Let's respond together with gladness and sincere hearts. And if any of you as part of our response, want to come bring a testimony as an overflow of how God has blessed you. If you are carrying a word of encouragement with the church, come see me and we'll see if we can fit it in. And if you're here this morning and if you are feeling that pull of God upon your life, that you are wanting to know that culture of care, culture of family and culture of authentic joy, this is what it is because of Jesus. He is the reason for our authentic joy and the only response you need to make is to invite him into your life but if you do that please come let me know because that would be good news for now let's worship with an authentic joy as a people whom god has pulled together by the power of his spirit in devotion to him and to each other